Well, good morning, 1030. Those of you guys who are joining us live and those of you who are watching online, it's good to have you guys with us today in the final week of our spring series called I Am Jesus in His Own Words. And again, um, I just want to let everyone know I am not claiming to be Jesus. Don't freak out. This is just the title of our series where we've been looking at these seven incredible I Am statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. We are looking at Jesus through his own words. And if you missed any of the past weeks, um, first off, what's your problem? Because uh, you missed some good teaching over the last few weeks, but you can always go um, to our YouTube page to be able to watch those previous messages. But I just wanna give a quick recap, if it's your first time here or first time back in a while. Uh, we began this series you know, many, many weeks ago um, talking about how Jesus said, I am the good shepherd that he loves and he cares for us. And then on Palm Sunday, we discovered that Jesus is the vine and that if we stay connected to him, that we can start to bear some incredibly good fruit in our lives. On Easter Sunday, we learned that the resurrection wasn't just a historical event, but that it's a person and that things don't stay dead when Jesus, the resurrection, enters into their life. And then we looked at a very inspirational I am statement where Jesus interacted with this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And instead of judgment and condemnation, he offered her forgiveness and hope. He said, I am the light. And he offered her a new life and even freedom from her sin. And then two weeks ago, we looked at a controversial statement where Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And then last week, Pastor TJ, our student pastor, brought a very powerful message about Jesus' statement from John chapter 6, where he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry or thirsty. Now, today, as we end this series, um, I'm going to present to you probably the most controversial I am statement that Jesus made. And it's found in John chapter 14, verse 6. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app with you on your smartphone, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 14, verse 6. We, we will get there in a few minutes. And as you're, you're trying to find that, um, we'll also always put stuff up on the screens. But as you're trying to, to find that, let me just prep you and say that today we're going to look at, at one of the most important and culturally believed lies in the world today. And we're gonna see what the truth of God has to say about this issue. And I, and I wanna tell you today, this is such a critical, critical topic, and yet so many people wrongly fall into this trap and wrongly believe this lie. You may have heard it. You might even believe it because it's so pervasive in the world today. People often say something like this. They say, it doesn't matter what you believe about God as long as you're sincere. It doesn't matter what you believe about God as long as you're sincere. And quite honestly, that kind of sounds good, doesn't it? It kind of feels good that our God is so big and he's so loving that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in believing it. It's feel-good theology. It feels good. And we see this all the time when someone's talking to a friend or they're thinking about themselves over Thanksgiving dinner around their crazy relatives and they're thinking, well, I'm a good person. I mean, I'm better than, than a lot of these people that I know. Or, or we see this often when, when I go to a funeral. 
You know, and someone will pass away and a loved one will say, well, they, they weren't really a religious person. He wasn't really very religious. She didn't really, um, you know, attend church or anything like that. But, but they're in a better place now. Or grandma is, is looking down on us from heaven. And I'll, I'll be really honest with you guys. There's a couple times during the day that I don't want grandma looking down on me from heaven. Okay, just saying. Spraying a little bit of poopery while I'm, while I'm in the bathroom. And, and yet, so many people believe this. They're looking down. They're in a better place. It doesn't matter what you believe. All roads, all religions lead to God. You just have to be sincere. Now, now, what's interesting to me is that in our culture today, being a spiritual person is not considered controversial. I mean, after every big sporting event, you will hear athletes give glory to God. I mean, we just had the NFL draft this past weekend, and athlete after athlete, when they got picked by a team, you know, they would interview them and put a microphone in front of their face, and you would hear people give glory to God. But when athletes do this, sometimes it's actually kind of humorous. Like, I, I really like watching uh, mixed martial arts, MMA, and the, and the UFC. My daughters growing up, they really liked uh, Ronda Rousey, and they uh, took some Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a couple years. But if you watch a UFC martial arts fight, it's really kind of funny because after some fighter pummels a guy in the octagon for 15 minutes, at the end of the fight, they hug each other and then they interview the winner and he thanks God and he gives glory to God for allowing him to beat the tar out of someone. I'm not exactly sure how God really feels about that. Or, or I watch someone at the Grammys and they'll go, oh, I give all the credit to God. Meanwhile, they just sang a song about big butts jiggling. I, I don't know. Maybe that gives God glory when my butt jiggles. I'm not sure. And, and even on talk shows, they talk about spirituality or they talk about a higher power and there's no controversy at all until, until you bring up the name Jesus. See, you can talk about God, you can talk about a higher power, you can talk about spirituality, and nobody wigs out, but as soon as you start talking about Jesus, things get interesting. And what's fascinating to me about this is almost nobody debates the historical existence of Jesus. In fact, even his detractors aren't going to tell you that he never lived, because the historical evidence that Jesus lived is really overwhelming. I mean, they do a hundred shows on the History Channel around Christmas and Easter every year about Jesus. They acknowledge all day long that Jesus was a very real person. What's also interesting to me is that people love his teachings. I don't know anyone who says that Jesus is evil or he was a horrible guy. I mean, here's what he taught. He taught to help the poor. He taught to love others, even your enemies. He taught to be generous and forgive the people who hurt you. His teachings are absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I, I was a psychology major at the University of Maryland. I completed my master's degree in clinical pastoral counseling at Loyola University in Baltimore. And I'm, I'm working on wrapping up a PhD at Indiana Wesleyan University. And, and some of the smartest professors that I've had the privilege of sitting under in higher education, uh, many of whom were, were not even Christians, acknowledged that Jesus was a genius when it came to his moral and ethical teachings, that he was to ethics what Einstein was to physics. Even if you hate Christianity, it's virtually impossible to hate the teachings of Jesus. It's hard to question the power and the beauty of his teachings. So why is it then that people get so upset when you bring up the name Jesus? 
Well, the answer lies in the exclusive claim of Jesus. It's this exclusive claim that gets everybody rattled and a bit bent out of shape. In fact, it's very direct in scripture. It's found again in John 14, 6, when Jesus makes his most controversial I am statement. And again, it's very controversial and it's very uncomfortable. This is what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And boom, and there it is. That sets Jesus apart from all other world religions. It's the exclusive claim that he is the way to God. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that sets Christianity apart in a massive way. So what I want to do a little bit this morning is I want to talk very openly with you guys about other world religions. And we have to acknowledge that really no matter what you believe, that there is some truth and there is some beauty in many different world religions. Can we acknowledge that? That there can be some truth and there can be some beauty in all of them, but they're not the same. I'll give you some examples of a few major world religions. Um, Buddhism, for example, has no God. Buddhism has no final type of existence. Buddhists believe in countless rebirths. Hinduism, though, is very, very different. I grew up, many of you know this, I grew up in a Hindu family. My parents immigrated to the United States from India. I was the first in my family to be born in America. And there's a lot of beauty in the stories and the mythologies of Hinduism. Instead of no God, Hinduism has many gods. Buddhism and Hinduism, two Eastern religions that are different in many ways, but they also have some things in common. They don't really talk about forgiveness of sins, but they teach karma. In other words, if you do bad things, then bad things will happen to you. If not in this life, then in the next life. For example, if, I, if I'm driving down you know, Route 1 and, and you happen to come by me and, and you tell me to peel the banana and you flip me off, if I don't catch up to you and give you instant karma in this life, in the next life you might come back as a banana and a monkey might peel you, okay? Karma. And then there's Islam. Followers of Islam, Muslims, they worship Allah, a personal God. And there's no secondary gods. In fact, there's a total ban on idols and idolatry, unlike Hinduism. And if you're a Muslim, Allah depends on your religious devotion. It's about your works and what you do. And then there's New Age spirituality, which has become very popular in the last several decades. And New Age beliefs often have no personal God, but they focus on attaining a higher sense of consciousness to become one with the cosmos or one with nature. And then, then there's Christianity. Christianity has a personal God revealed to us through the love of God's son, Jesus. Through Jesus, God offers us the forgiveness of sins, not based on works, not based on religious efforts, but based on God's love and this concept of grace, an undeserved gift. So we have to acknowledge that although there may be truth and beauty in all religions, they are not the same. So when someone says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, an objective person would have to look at that and think, I don't really think that's true. 
So what I want to do today, and first off, I want to acknowledge that, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, so I am biased on this topic. But what I want to do today is I want us to look at Jesus objectively. And I want to ask you, no matter what you believe, to maybe put that to the side this morning and just kind of put on a detective cap and consider Jesus. And please, please hear me this morning. I'm not asking you to consider our church. Not at all. I'm not even asking you to consider Christianity because I'm going to argue that maybe Jesus didn't even come to start a religion, but he actually came to reveal the love of God to those who needed a savior. And so what I want to do in our remaining time is I want to kind of look at three aspects, if we can investigate three aspects of Jesus. If you're taking notes, first I'm going to ask you to do this. Number one is this. I want you to consider, I want you to consider the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus. Just consider the ministry of Jesus. And I want to look at Mark chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, which really summarize why Jesus came. First of all, we see in verse 16 that when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now stop. Notice I said Jesus was eating with who, church? That's right, sinners and tax collectors. And the religious leaders, when they saw this, they were kind of ticked off. And they were confused. And they asked the question, why? In other words, no righteous, holy, godly person would eat with jacked up people like them over there. I mean, the people, the crowd that Jesus was hanging with, it was like he was at a South Portland church potluck, okay? No perfect people around the table that he was sitting with. But the religious leaders looked at that crowd and they thought, they are too dirty. They are too sinful. Why in the world is he doing that? Now, on hearing this, what did Jesus do? Here's what he said in the next verse, in verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He said, I have not come to call the righteous. But again, church, who did he come for? Sinners, right. He came for people like you and, and people like me who, who maybe feel like, you know, we don't have it all together. Think about Jesus. Those that the world despised, he loved and he accepted them right where they were. Th those that religion rejected, Jesus loved and he embraced when the woman was caught in adultery, we talked about her a few weeks ago, all of the religious leaders said, kill her. And Jesus said, whichever of you has never sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone, right? And then he looked down at this broken woman and he said, go and sin no more. You're forgiven. You can have a brand new life. You can have freedom from your sin. Consider the ministry of Jesus, who he was and what he did. I mean, he opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He caused the mute to speak. He touched lepers, those who no one would get near because of their illness and because they were afraid of infection. He touched them. He embraced them and he healed them. He turned water into wine, which is still a problem for some of us Nazarenes. It's in the Bible, just saying. Jesus multiplied a few loaves and fishes to feed 5,000 men and probably thousands more women and children. He walked on water. 
He raised the dead. And here's what's crazy. His critics, they didn't question the validity of his miracles. They just wanted him to stop doing them because it didn't fit with their view of God. The religious leaders were like, just stop doing that, Jesus. Stop healing people. But just consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the ministry and the miracles of the one who didn't come for perfect religious church people, but the one who came for sinners. The one who didn't come for the healthy, but the one who came for the sick. And I'm going to tell you guys right now, I, I am, I, I'm a miracle from the power of Jesus. He saved me. Growing up in middle school and high school, um, I was a different person. I mean, I talked trash all the time. I, I could say horrible and hurtful things to people. I knew just the right words to be able to cut somebody down. And as I started to hear about God and go to church with a buddy of mine, I, I felt like that God could never love someone like me. And then I got invited to a teen camp in 1991, and I heard a speaker say something on a stage, and it was, it was like he was speaking directly to me. He said, I know you're out there, I know you're hurting right now, but I want you to know that you're not too bad for God, that he loves you, that he can forgive you, and that he wants to have a personal relationship with you. He cares about your life, he cares about your future, and I'm telling you, at that moment, it was like I was the only person in the room and God was speaking directly to me, and I became a follower of Jesus. But I wasn't perfect. I mean, a few weeks later, we had a teen lock-in where they would lock us in for an overnight. Um, and, and we were watching a movie. And it was PG-13. I think it was Robin Hood. And um, it had some language in it. So our, our youth pastor, he held on to the remote control. And, and he knew the scenes that had some cussing in it. And he was going to fast forward past that part. And he started to fast forward. And right when he did that, our senior pastor walked into the room. And he said, why would you just fast forward? And I said, oh, pastor, it's because in the next part, they're going to say, bleep you, you bleep and bleep. And I cussed out my senior pastor in a room full of people. Thankfully, he was a man of God. He knew I was a baby Christian. And he just kind of patted me on my head and smiled and walked away. But over the past 30 years since that day, I mean, I continue to be a work in progress. But I'm not the same AJ that I was before. I'm a new creation in Christ. So number one, consider the ministry of Jesus. And now number two. Number two, consider the resurrection of Jesus. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. See, what you need to understand today is that God loves you, but he hates sin. And that's why Jesus was born of a virgin. He did not inherit the sin nature that all of us were born with. He was born without sin, and that's why he could go on the cross and be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, that he could bear the weight of all of our sins upon him. I don't want you to miss the power of this. On the cross, when the creation was mocking the creator, think about that for a minute, the creation mocking the creator. After they had done their worst, they had beaten him beyond recognition. They had hammered nails into his wrists and into his feet. They had hung him on the worst instrument of torture, perhaps in human history, the Roman cross. When they had done their worst, Jesus looks up to God and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he said, it is finished. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. 
And scripture tells us the earth went dark and trembled. There was an earthquake. And a Roman soldier who was standing there and who was not a believer looked on and said, surely that man was the son of God. And three days later, when the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty. And Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Peter said it like this in Acts 3, 15. He said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. He said, we witnessed it. And this is so important because there were eyewitnesses that he died and then he rose again. There were eyewitnesses of this. Now, skeptics and critics will say, well, well Roman, the Roman soldiers probably stole the body. Listen, the enemies of Jesus would have loved to have produced his dead body to prove that he had not risen. So that theory kind of goes out the window. Some people say, well, the disciples took the body. So you're going to tell me that some scared fishermen who ran away and hid when Jesus was arrested, then turned into super ninjas and overpowered, trained, and armed Roman soldiers to steal a dead body. Do you really expect any rational person to believe that 11 small town, uneducated men de devised the most elaborate scheme and hoax in the history of the world, pulled it off, kept it a secret, all with no personal benefit for themselves, only extreme personal loss with all of them but one dying as martyrs in horrific and torturous ways. The only credible explanation is that the tomb was empty and that Jesus was alive again and they witnessed it and it changed them forever. It turned them from cowards into courageous followers. Consider the fact that, that one of their very own was a guy who really doubted. Do you guys remember his name? Thomas, that's right. He even went by good old doubting Thomas, right? The disciple Thomas was like, I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the grave until I see him with my own eyes and I touch his wounds. And then Jesus shows up and says, Thomas, touch my scars. Feel my side. Feel my wrists. It's me. Stop doubting. Believe. And Thomas would go on to become the greatest evangelist to the nation of India he planted countless churches there, and when an angry mob told him to renounce his faith in Jesus, Thomas, who was the doubter, said, I can never renounce Jesus because I saw him with my own eyes, and they drove spears through his body and killed him. Why would he die for his faith when he once doubted? Why? Because he saw the risen Christ. Just consider it. Don't consider Christians. I mean, don't consider me. I'm not perfect. I'll let you down. Don't consider our church. We're imperfect. We're full of jacked up people. If you're here long enough, somebody's probably going to hurt your feelings and let you down. But consider Jesus. Consider his ministry, that he came for sinners. And consider the resurrection and the eyewitnesses willing to die because they saw Jesus raised from the dead with their own eyes. And then finally, I just want to ask you to do this. Number three, consider the message of Jesus. Consider the message of Jesus. I love the way Paul summarizes it in Romans 3.22. He says this. He says that this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ 
to all who believe. He said, we're made right with God by placing our faith in who? Jesus, that's right. Don't miss this. We're made right with God by believing, by putting our faith in Jesus, the Son of God. This is crazy powerful, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how dark your life is, no matter how many sins you've committed in your past, no matter how messed up your life is right now, anyone, Scripture says, anyone who places their faith in Jesus will be saved and made brand new. How are we made right with God? We're made right with God by believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord. You see, Christianity is really Christ plus nothing. It's not Christ plus good works or, or, or Christ plus a baptism or Christ plus church membership or Christ plus taking communion or Christ plus writing a check. It's Christ plus nothing. It's not Christ plus clean up your life first. It's Christ plus nothing. In Christ alone, we have hope for eternal life. In Christ alone, we are forgiven of our sins. In Christ alone, the old is gone and the new has come. In Christ alone, we are made real. And see, here's the problem with religion. Religion's all about us. It's all about me and what I have to do and the hope of being good enough. Did I get rid of enough bad stuff to make it? Religion's all about me. I'm not talking about religion today, and we haven't been talking about religion throughout this series. We've been talking about a relationship. See, Jesus didn't come to create a religion. He came to show God's love and to offer us a personal relationship. And while religion says, if I'm good enough, maybe God will love me and accept me, relationship says, because God loves me, he accepts me. And because he accepts me, I'm going to choose to follow him and love him and obey. And see, God doesn't love you because of what you do. God loves you because of who he is. That's what he is. He is love. And there's nothing that you could possibly do to make God love you any more than he already does. And there's nothing you could do to make God love you any less. God loves you because of who he is. Religion is about us. Relationship is about Jesus. See, it's kind of like this. Religion is, is kind of spelled like, like this, like D-O, like do. It's all about what you have to do. But a relationship with Jesus is spelled like this. It's spelled D-O-N-E. On the cross, Jesus said, it is done. I paid the price once and for all to set you free. And some of you are going to say, well, pastor, I don't know. I mean, that just sounds too good to be true. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's too good not to be true. Because no person would make up a God who would become one of us to die in our place. That's why it's called the gospel. That's why it's called the good news. And so Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you will believe in Jesus, it's done. It's settled. You will become brand new. Not because you're good enough, but because God is good enough. Can we pray together this morning, church? With heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, we thank you so much that, that we get to live in a nation where we can explore faith and we can ask questions freely. 
And when culture says again and again, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere, we're smart enough to recognize that there is a difference. And so God, today I ask that your Holy Spirit would do what you do, that you would draw people towards you. As we pray, I want to first speak to those of you here who consider yourself followers of Jesus. And you know somebody in your life. Maybe it's somebody in your family who you love. Maybe it's a close friend or someone you work with, somebody you know and you love who isn't sure what they believe. And you want to simply pray today that God would reach out to them and that he would reveal his love. And that they could be transformed, not by religion, but through a relationship. And that that if God wants to use you, that you are willing to say, God, use my life to impact this person. I want them to know you. So if that's your prayer today, if you would say, yes, God, that's me. There's someone in my life who I love. God, I want to pray that you would reach them. I want to pray that you can use me to reach them, do whatever it takes. If that's your prayer, would you lift up a hand right now as an act of faith? Praise God. Praise God. Hands up everywhere this morning. Let me pray for you. God, I I know that it's often such a burden when we love somebody that continues to reject you. God, we pray that we would be able to reflect your love to them. Never religion, never legalism, never judgment and condemnation or a holier-than-thou attitude, but we would reflect the love of Jesus to them. And God, we pray that you would also send other people into their lives, send other people into the lives of these people that we love, Father God, who can also help point them towards you. We pray, God, for those we love and who we know that you love even more that they would know a personal relationship with you. As we continue praying today, there are those of you here, and there's something right now, maybe it's been all series long, that's just been drawing you towards God. And we say all the time that, that we don't believe that you're here by accident. We don't believe that you're, you're in this room or watching online today by accident. We believe that God intended for you to be here And right now there's something just drawing you to him. And I believe that's the love of God through his Holy Spirit just reaching out to you. And so if that's you today, I want to ask again, have you considered Jesus? And not putting your faith in a church or in a religion, but are you willing to put your faith in Jesus? Because guess what? God loves you right where you are. And he wants to make you brand new. So if you would say, I'm not sure what's happening, but I feel like I'm being drawn to God. My heart's just kind of pounding right now. And even though I don't know all the details and I don't understand everything by faith today, I want to choose Jesus. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. I need his love. If that's you this morning, if that's your prayer as an act of faith, would you just lift up a hand right now? and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? I need Jesus in my life. Praise God. Praise God. I see that. I see that. Is there anyone else this morning? Even if you're watching online right now, as an act of faith, you can can lift a hand. God sees. He knows. 
Praise God. I want to pray for you guys and, and for those of you um, here this morning who, again, are followers of Christ, I just ask you to pray for, um, for these folks who are making decisions of faith today. We pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thanks for meeting me right where I'm at. God, forgive me of all my sins. God, I'm not perfect, but I believe today that Jesus died for me and I believe that he rose again so that I could live in a relationship, a personal relationship with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I can know you and serve you. Today, I give you my life. It's yours. My faith is in you, Jesus, alone. You are the Lord of my life and my Savior. Thank you again for loving me first. Help me to love you day by day, step by step, for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Can we celebrate, church, some decisions made today? Praise God. Let's stand as we continue to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of our people. Sing this with us. All to Jesus I surrender.
Let me just start by saying that um, there have been a lot of people um, who've made pretty significant decisions of faith over the last seven weeks in, in this series. And so I just want to encourage you, um, if that's you, please share with us. Let us know. Um, you can talk to me. You can talk to any of our pastoral staff, Pastor Cheryl in the back. Pastor Nancy's going to be back in the, in the lobby as well, and Pastor TJ. Um, we want to know. We want to help you along in that journey to continue taking next steps. Maybe for you, it's, it's signing up for an ownership class. Maybe it's getting baptized and going public with that decision of faith, but we want to let you know that we want to be here right alongside you through that entire process. So don't keep that a secret. We want to celebrate the work that God is doing in your lives. I also want to let you guys know next week, we're going to be starting a brand new series that's going to carry us through the month of May and Mother's Day and into June and Father's Day, looking at men and women and our differences and our relationships. Um, we're going to be doing a new series called Adam and Eve. So we, we would love for you guys to be a part of that next week. But let me pray for you you guys now. Heavenly Father, um, I just thank you again um, for these uh, wonderful people, Lord God, um, coming to church on a Sunday morning, watching online um, to connect with you, Father God. I just pray, um, Lord, that you would honor their efforts and that you would, you would reveal yourself. If there are folks who are still kind of seeking and searching and wondering about you, that God, in powerful and tangible ways, in the days and the weeks ahead, that you would reveal yourself to them, Father God, and that we would be a people who continue to take next steps and grow in our relationship with you. Father, as always, we pray for wisdom today, that you would give us wisdom to know what to do with what we heard from this incredible I am statement from your son, Jesus. And God, you would give us the courage to do something about it, to evaluate our lives, to make a course correction if we need to, Lord God, to not fall into the, the, the trap and the lie that's so pervasive in society today that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, but Father, that we would be able to, to seek and know the truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, Father God, and that we can have a personal relationship with him, that it's not about religion and it's not about all the things we have to do. It's about what was done for us. It's about the love and the grace of God and how we're invited to be brand new and to step into a personal relationship with the son of God. Father God, I just pray that you would, you would just honor the decisions that have been made over the last several weeks, Father God, and that you would help again those who are still kind of processing what it is that they believe. God, thank you for being a personal God who cares about each and every one of us. We love you, and we give you glory today in your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great week leading up to Mother's Day weekend. Um, as you exit, please remember to exit from the, the far right doors and practice social distancing on your way out. God bless you guys. I surrender Say